So first Kings, we came as far as chapter 12, verse 24. And so we've seen a lot happen in the first 11 and a half chapters of first Kings. We've seen a transition in leadership and how that has to take place, which we learn from that. David encouraging his son while also giving his son opportunity to do some things um, uh, under his own wisdom. Uh, we saw the Lord appear to Solomon and ask him, uh, tell him to ask him whatever he wanted. Solomon asked for wisdom. God bestowed it upon him. And we saw through Solomon's wisdom um, how his administration ran, the wisdom that was employed there, his foreign relations, making allies, doing different things. Um, setting people up, removing people that were a threat to national security, if you will. Just a lot of different things that he did. Um, remember, he didn't tear down or remove the ancient landmarks. You remember in Proverbs where it says, don't forsake your friend or your father's friend. Y'all remember that? Well, he made allies with Haram, the king of um, Syria, who was his father's friend. He continued that relationship and it benefited the nation greatly. So there's a lot of leadership things that we've learned through uh, all of these chapters. But remember way back, there was just a hint of a little something that started out really small. And it was when uh, Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter for the sake of foreign relations, but he already had a wife. Y'all remember that? And it's real subtle. You can almost miss it as you go through the scripture. We pointed it out. Um, and so that began just something that was already in his heart and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And if you remember all the way back, what we read in chapter 11 is that Solomon loved many, many is the first issue <laughs> and foreign is the second, foreign as in women who worshiped other gods, which God had warned him of that, that would take his heart away from the Lord and it did. And I think the reality is, as we can, we need to be careful because that's, that's one issue is that, you know, are we loving anything foreign, anything that's not of God in our lives? We need to be careful with that. And then the other thing is that in his prosperity, he made the kingdom so plush and filled with fluff, if you will, um, that he was entertaining himself. Remember, it says that he made silver as, as plentiful as gravel and gold was everywhere. His, he was eating off of gold plates, gold forks, gold spoons, just gold for the sake of gold. He had so much gold, he had to think of stuff to make out of gold because he had so much gold. Can you imagine that? So what can I make out of gold next? Y'all remember that? He had monkeys and horses imported. I mean, just anything that he could enjoy and, and, and according to when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he had everything and it was all vanity he eventually learned. So, so much so that his son grew up in the palace, plush with no cares, a spoiled brat who split the kingdom. Y'all remember that? God came to Solomon and said, listen, you have worship of the gods. You've built high places for your wives and you've sacrificed to these gods now. So I'm going to take the kingdom from you. However, I'm going to leave one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David. And I'm going to give 10 of the tribes to your servant. And so that's what he spoke. He said, I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. Y'all remember this, right? So this was a couple of weeks ago. So what happened is then he chose Jeroboam, who was Solomon's servant. And he sent a prophet to speak to Jeroboam and say, and remember he tore the cloth into 12 pieces and he says, take for yourself 10. Thus the Lord is going to give you 10 tribes. You'll be king over them. He's going to leave one tribe to David's descendants for David's sake. Um, and so all of that has taken place. So Rehoboam took over uh, as the descendant of Solomon and he is the king of Judah. 
Um, we remember he split the kingdom because he didn't want to listen to the wise counsel that was around him. Y'all remember that? Another lesson we learned. But he listened to his homeboys that grew up in the, in the fluff with him, and they had no experience, and they had never uh, been through anything. And, um, and uh, so he listened to them. He didn't take the counsel that was experienced, that it served under his father and his grandfather, um, that was wisdom, that was wise, and because of that, the people turned against him. So that's what we saw last week. At the end of last week, the kingdom split, and Rehoboam says, this ain't happening. I'm going to get the kingdom back for myself. So he sent his man to collect taxes. They killed him. So he says, okay, I'm going to get an army, and I'm going to go handle it. And God sent a man to say, no, you will not shed the blood of your brothers. Y'all remember all of those things we learned. So now that's where we are. So Jeroboam is now king of the northern tribes. Rehoboam is king of Judah. That's the state that the nation is in, and it will be in that state until the Lord returns in a sense. Even though the nation is gathered back in the land as one nation, um, they have not repented and turned fully to God. They are not fully established in the way that he would have them to be, and that won't happen until Jesus returns. But as we pick it up in verse 25, we're going to now begin to see where Jeroboam is heading. And listen really quick before we start reading this. One of the issues that we're going to discover very quickly is that God, even though God spoke to Jeroboam, he said, I'm taking the kingdom from Solomon because of his idolatry. Y'all remember that? Which was a warning to Jeroboam that God don't like idolatry. But what we're going to see as we go through this is that often people People will follow their own heart and not listen to the word of God, which we got to be so careful about that. I, I remember mentioning to you confirmation bias, and we want something so bad that we look for anything to confirm what we want as opposed to listening to the word of God and stand with the word of God. And so we're going to begin to see that creep in tonight, um, being surrounded by yes men. So, you know, we, we saw that with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, surrounded by his homeboys that told him whatever he wanted to hear how that destroyed his life in the kingdom. And so I think one of the things that we personally need to take application from as we go through this, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, is, Lord, teach me to hear your voice through your word and to obey it. When God is speaking to you, he often speaks through your time in the word. And I'll share some stuff on Sunday that he's been speaking to me about. But as you spend time in the word of God, the Holy Spirit will, will, will highlight things, will point things out, will cause things to, um, to really um, uh, overwhelm you. And you'll know it's the Holy Spirit showing you something in the word. And he'll confirm those things. And he'll lead you by those things. Anyway, so let's pick it up. Verse 25, we'll start reading and then we'll pray. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So, Father, I, I thank you tonight as we approach your text or your scripture that you've given us. Lord, that you would continue to speak to us from it in ways that only you can, Lord. Speaking to us individually, speaking to us collectively. 
And I pray that you would take everything that would hinder away from our hearts and our minds, concerns about work or school or whatever it is that we have to deal with at home. And that you would even take away distractions from the room, Lord. Let us hear from you tonight. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So right off the bat, remember, Jeroboam, now king over the northern tribes, he, he builds the place where he's going to dwell there in Shechem. Remember, Shechem is the place where they were actually meeting to make Rehoboam king uh, over in chapter 12, verse 1. It's a special place in the nation of Israel because it's the place where God had spoken to, to Abraham and told him that through his seed all the earth would be blessed. We see that back in Genesis chapter 12. So he, he sets up there in Shechem and in the mountains of Ephraim, and this is where he's going to dwell as a king over the, the northern nation of Israel. But verse 26 exposes the, the real issue. And notice it says that he says in his heart. And what he says in his heart is, well, you know, basically, if these people go back to Jerusalem to worship like the nation's supposed to, then somehow they're going to turn, their heart's going to turn back to Judah, back to Jerusalem, back to the Lord. Let's read what he says. And it says in the long heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David if they go up to offer sacrifices, sacrifices to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, somehow in his heart, he believes that this nation that he's king over belongs to him. And, and that's the first issue, because if you remember, he was just a servant. He comes from a single parent home. He had to work hard all his life to get where he was. He had to flee down to Egypt because Solomon was trying to kill him. Then he came back. He was made king over these tribes according to the word of God by the prophet that God sent to him. He didn't do this on his own in any way. We can see that clearly in the scripture. Amen. But somehow now in his own pride, he thinks it's his. And because he thinks it's his, he thinks he's got to fight to keep it. And that's a dangerous place to be. Man, if God sets you up anywhere and he puts you there, well, then that's of him. I'm so free to know that, hey, God put me here and God can tell me when it's time to change. And that's for any of us. Because I think the danger is when, when you and your flesh want to fight for something that you think you built, and your pride begins to kick in, that's going to destroy you and hurt everybody around you. At the end of the day, follow the Lord. His plan is good. And this man is moving quickly away from the Lord. He had opportunity to be set up. God said, if you walk with me, I will establish your throne. Jeroboam, he said that to Jeroboam. If you go back a few chapters ago, can you imagine that? God, the God of Israel, the God of the universe said, hey, look, man, I'm going to make you king over these tribes. And if you walk with me, I will make your name great. I will make your line. I will keep somebody on the throne. Can you imagine this? And all of a sudden, he thinks he's got to fight for what God did. I don't have, you don't have to fight for the things that God does. God is strong enough to do it and establish it and keep it. I like what Jude says, to, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Who is the one that keeps us? The Lord himself. We don't establish ourselves. I'll share some stuff with you out of Psalm 40, I think, on Sunday. God is the one that sets our feet on a solid rock. God is the one that lifts us up. The Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so Jeroboam thinks it's his. He's got to fight for something that he thinks is his. And when you know it belongs to the Lord, you don't have to fight for it. If you fight, you fight on behalf of his glory. But you do that in a way in which he leads. So he says, if this people go up and offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord, verse 27, in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. He's, he's really saying everything that he needs to know. If he, lists, if he really thinks through what he's saying, 
It is the house of the Lord. It is in the city where the Lord placed his name. Amen. So this is the place where the people of Israel are supposed to worship. So now because of his own pride, because he thinks it belongs to him and he's got to fight for it. Now he is going to prevent the people from honoring their God the way they should so they can be blessed for his own sake. Y'all catch that? And it's, it's, it's what we learn in Proverbs, that pride goes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. So if they go, the heart of this people, they'll turn back to King Jeroboam, back to the house of David. And of course, he doesn't want that. So Jeroboam, the king of Judah here, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam. Well, why would the people kill you if God is the one who established you? See, that's the other issue. When your faith then becomes in the thing and not in the giver of the thing, you're off track. Well, wait a minute. If God is the one who established me, then nobody can remove me. Isn't that the truth? When God does it, can't nobody take it from you. If God says, hey, I'm going to place you here until, until I'm done with you. Well, that means that nobody can remove me from here until he's done with me. That's the confidence we walk in in, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I, I'm thankful for that. But he's off track. He's lifted up in pride. He's, he's instead of going to the God who established him there, he's trying to do it in his own strength. And so we can already see he's headed for destruction. I hope this is speaking to some of you tonight because maybe some of you have to realize that, wait a minute, I need to back up. I'm fighting for something that belongs to the Lord. Maybe I need to consult him about what I should be doing with the thing, whether it's your business, whether it's your ministry, whatever it might be. I'm trying to hold on to something because I think because my identity is in it now. No, 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 no. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are in Christ. And, it, and you can really only experience freedom when, you, when we come to a place where we realize that. Lord, if it's of you, it's good. If it's not, I don't want it. I remember one time, it was Moses, I believe, that said, um, Lord, if you ain't going, I don't want to go. <laughs> if you ain't going to be with me, I don't even want to go. I like in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the first Samuel, second Samuel, when David's going out to fight, when he gets to a place where he just says, you know what, Lord, do you want me to go fight or not? And the Lord was like, go fight. All right, and I'm going to win. Lord, do you want me to fight or not? No, I don't want you to fight. All right, good. I'm going to chill at home today. That's how David was. David was content to walk with the Lord. All right, verse 28, so I can cover some time. So therefore, the king asked advice. Now, asking advice is good when it's godly counsel. Rehoboam lost the kingdom because he asked advice of ungodly counsel as opposed to the godly council that was already established. So he goes and asks advice. We don't know who he asked it from, but we can see the results of it because it says, and after the comma, it says, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, did y'all catch that? He made two gold calves and said, these are your gods that delivered you from Egypt. So first of all, he ain't never read the Bible. <laughs> you can't ever have read the Bible at least one time and come up with this one. But the scary thing is the people of Israel bought it because they ain't read the scriptures either. This is the very first thing that Aaron did when Moses was on the mountain getting the law. He built the golden calf and said, here's your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they were having a drunken party 
around this golden calf when Moses came down the mountain and lost his mind through, through the tablets and everything, you know. And, and so it's amazing that he does this. And, and, uh, and then in verse 29, and he set up one. Notice, did I get ahead of myself? No. It says here, it, it's too much for you to go. So he doesn't want them to go to Jerusalem. So he wants them to go in these places that he's going to create. Here's your God, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in, in Bethel and one he put in Dan. So he strategically locates these golden calves in places where the people can conveniently worship so they don't have to go to Jerusalem. That's a scary thing. That reminds me of seeker-friendly church a little bit. We want to make it real convenient. So you don't have to do nothing when worship actually is sacrifice. We need you to do something. You need to come. You need to sacrifice to get here. It doesn't need to be easy. And you need to, and you need to give it to the Lord when you get here. Amen? Um, and so he, he strategically makes a seeker-friendly situation, if you will, for them to keep them from going to Jerusalem, to keep the people for himself. Now, in verse 30, this thing became a sin. Now, before, before I continue, you could almost say, well, how in the world did Israel... Having come from David's leadership, now they've been with Solomon. How could they go into idolatry so quickly? But the reality is, this started a long time ago. Now, how long was Solomon king over Israel? Forty years. We just read that in the previous chapter. Forty years. Early on in his, in his administration, his heart began to go in the wrong direction. And he continued to multiply wives. He then slowly began to build uh, high places for his wives to worship their gods from the lands that they came from because he was collecting women from all over the world. They worshiped everything from monkeys to, to, to zebras. And he's building shrines for these things for them. And then the next thing you know, he's worshiping in these temples. Y'all remember this, right? Um, and then he, he makes all this abundance of gold and stuff like this all over the nation. So Solomon's leadership set the nation up for this. This is what's been put before them for going on 40 years. Oh, golden calf? That's great, man. Solomon had gold, everything. Oh, fine. Okay. We, you know, so they quickly follow after that, and this puts them in that place. Um, it's a slippery slope when we begin to move away from the Lord and drift away from the Lord and allow anything other than the things of the Lord to take our hearts and our minds, and it leads us down this path. So this thing, verse 30, became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people. I, I hope you're catching this. Now he's making his own religion. He created a God. Now he's making his own religion for the people. He's setting up high places. Now he's creating a priesthood for his new religion of anybody. Basically, he's giving out priest jobs. Anybody need a job? We're hiring for priests for the new religion. That's basically what it is. Notice it says, from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves, these gold calves that he had made, uh, and at Bethel, he installed the priest of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day, notice, of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. So he picked a month to worship these gods he had made and installed this priesthood which he created 
all so he could keep the people to himself. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. And so how quickly that he's able to lead the people into complete idolatry against God. And as verse 30 tells us, this thing became a sin. All because in his heart, he's lifted up with pride and he doesn't want the people to worship their true God in the way that they're called to because of his own pride and selfishness. And so he's leading the whole nation astray. Um, and by the way, the nation of Israel, the northern tribes, never come back out of idolatry until they are taken captive by, by the Assyrians. Um, so this thing is going to destroy many people. So that's kind of where, where chapter 12 ends. Um, very, very far away from where we began when we started the book of 1 Kings. Um, and remember, the reason that God keeps honoring David is because David, even though he sinned, he's called a man after God's own heart because even when he was confronted with the sin, he repented. The one thing David never did was worship other gods. He had one true God. And so now because of this, we're going to see that God is going to respond. And chapter 13 gets really interesting. Y'all hang in there. Let's, let's, let's take off verse 1. It says, and behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord to Jeroboam. And excuse me, and Jeroboam stood by the altar of burnt incense. Now, as we go through this, Jeroboam made himself a priest as well. So he's going to be sacrificing at one of his altars when this man of God shows up. We don't know the man of God's name. It's never mentioned to us. It's just called the man of God over and over and over. But I want you to take note that even in the midst of this, this national idolatry that's taking place in the northern tribes, there's this man of God in Judah that goes up by the word of the Lord to confront this thing. And, and pretty bold in a sense the way he's going to do it, but he's going by the word of God. Now, he's not perfect as we're going to see in this chapter um, these are very difficult times and God is making statements, but I love the fact that this man went up by the word of the Lord to confront Jeroboam at Bethel. You know, often we see the prophets will speak by the word of the Lord or the word of the Lord came to someone in the Old Testament. We see that over and over and over and over and over. Um, and that's Old Testament. And I like this, you know, how does God speak? We often question that in our own lives. How does God speak? What does it mean for God to, to come to us? Well, I like here, it's by the word of the Lord. What do I take from that? Does that mean that he heard an audible voice? Probably not. What I find is that with the prophets, with the people of God, who are spending time in his word and in prayer, it becomes very easy for him to, in a very, very supernaturally, natural, quiet way, speak to us. How many of you have heard from God? Look at that. Half the room, more than half the room. Yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks very clearly when you spend time with him. You know, people think, I, I don't know, I've never heard from God. I don't know how to hear from God. You ain't spending time with him. You ain't even gonna know your wife's voice if you don't talk to her every day, you know? <laughs> relationship, right? It takes relationship because when you have a relationship with someone, you know their voice and you don't have to hear an audible voice. The Holy Spirit just impresses upon you what he wants you to do. He brings his word back to you at a pivotal moment in which you need to hear it. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy. I have to share with you all on, on Sunday. I'm a, I, I think this is the way the Lord is leading me. I'm sitting in a restaurant today. I've been in a particular scripture since probably Saturday. God's been speaking to me in this particular area of the scripture. So I shared the scripture in the staff meeting this morning. 
Then I'm sitting in the restaurant reading my Bible, but I'm in Kings. Waitress walks by, says something to me. Hey, you ought to read such and such. That's an amazing scripture. She quotes the very, she quotes the address of where I've been spending my time. She comes by and I say, hey, you know why that, that scripture is so good? And I begin to quote to her because it's in me now. And she stopped and she, she's giving her testimony and I'm giving her mine. People are hearing it, which is crazy. After she left, people started talking to me. It's like, man, you know, it's like, okay, so I think God is saying, yeah, I need you to camp out there because I'm about to do something with that in your life and I want you to share it with the congregation. God speaks to us when we spend time with him. So how did this guy hear from God? I'm assuming he was in the, in the scriptures, in the scrolls, praying and meditating. And God impressed upon him, I need you to go confront him. I need you to go deal with this. All right, so he, by the word of the Lord, says here, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And I'll make sure everybody understands this altar where he's burning incense is not an altar to God. Okay. It's an altar to his false gods. And he's mimicking what a priest would do by burning incense to a false God. Verse two, then he cried out against the altar. Now this is the man of God. He cries out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Y'all catch this? God is so faithful. He's always got a remnant. He's always got somebody. You, and this is where we fail to understand. The world is going crazy. Look what's going on. Oh, my God. Yeah, but God still got people. He got us. All right, so he cries out to the altar by the word of God and said, O altar, altar, explanation mark. He's crying out. And, and y'all got to understand, there's, there's, he's not mic'd like I am. So he, he shows up and he's screaming so everybody can hear him. Thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you, he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. Now, y'all got to y'all got to catch this. I'm trying to paint the scene. It's hard. There's probably thousands of people there. Jeroboam's sacrificing. He's got the people. He's got what he wants. He's got all the people focused on him. He's the priest and the king, which he ain't supposed to be because you ain't supposed to have the position of priest and king. And you can only be a priest to the real God if you are of the tribe of of Levi and of the line specifically of Aaron. Y'all know that, right? Okay. But he's got what he wants. He's got, he's got, he's king over the northern tribes and he's operating as priest. The only one who can operate in both of those offices is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the high priest. Amen. And he's the king of glory. Amen. And then he takes another office. He's a sacrifice by which the sins are paid for. He does everything, you know. So he's there trying to do this. This guy shows up. And he cries out and he says, O altar, altar, because Jeroboam's going to be dead long and gone when this takes place. O altar, O altar, he says, thus says the Lord, the real God of, of, of Israel, behold, a child Josiah by name, King Josiah is who we're talking about. Stay with me. He's going to be born to the house of David. This is scary for Jeroboam because the one thing Jeroboam doesn't want is a nation to go back to the house of David. But you can't avoid that because God said through David's seed will be the Messiah. So you can do what you want to do. God's already established that, okay? He shall be born to the house of David, and on you, O altar, he's saying, he shall sacrifice the priest of these high places. 
and burn men's bones. Y'all catch that? What in the world is going on? Well, listen, this all takes place, 2 Kings chapter 23. Exactly what he's prophesying will take place some 300 years later. How he's going to call the guy by name 300 years ahead of time? Well, that's no big deal. Jeremiah and Isaiah called Cyrus's name 150 years before he was born and showed up on the scene and delivered Israel from Babylon. I get the sense that God is outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning, and he can call it like he wants, any way he wants. There's no way for this, prop, this man of God who's still unnamed, I think the Holy Spirit left him unnamed, not that he doesn't matter. The point is God got people. And where they come from and what their name is doesn't matter. You can put your name there almost, <laughs> in a sense. He's prophesying ahead of time specifically of what is going to take place. And there's no other book ever been written that can do that. There's no other prophetic writings and utterances in the world but the Bible. And every time you dig a hole in the ground in the Middle East, you prove that the Bible is true. And, and all the critics are always silenced. And so he says some 300 years before it happens that a child named Josiah of the house of David will sacrifice the priest of this high place. And you go in your own time, 2 Kings chapter 23, 22 and 23, and you can see that Josiah became king when he was eight years old. And as he got old enough to have some sense about him, you know, he said, look, we need to build the house of the Lord. We need to take the money and, and get, the, get the work going. Let's build God's house. Well, while building God's house, they discover a book. And the priests say, hey, here's a book of the law. And they give it to him. Then the king has his servant read the law to him. And while he's reading the law to King Josiah, so King Josiah gets so convicted, he rips his clothes. He's like, we have committed sin. And he makes the whole nation repent and turn back to God. And then he begin. and then so what happens is he says, hey, we got to destroy all the high places. And he burned, he, he, he burned the priests on them who were worshiping these idols. And God called it. I love that. God always has a plan. Amen. Amen. I want to know what thus says the Lord. Lord, what you going to do with my life? That's what I believe. That's what I want to know. Forget what everybody else says. Your Uncle Harry and everybody else can say whatever they else want to say about me and my life and your life and anything. What does God say? God writes the end of the story. And I'll come back to that on Sunday. I'm going to share some things with you. All right, let's get back into this. So now. So these, these priests who burn high sin, uh, incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. Verse 3, and he gave a sign the same day saying, this is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall be split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. Now, you got to catch a scene. Thousands of people are watching this. This man of God who we don't know is speaking to the altar. He ain't even speaking to the king. And then the king get mad, arrest him, and watch what happens. The hand which he stretched out towards him withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. It's almost like all the, you know, I, well, I don't want to try to get into it. Uh, we got a doctor here. He could probably explain it all. It's, it's like all the moisture went out and everything dried up and he couldn't even bend it um, right at that very moment. Verse five, the altar also was spit apart and the ashes poured out. Now you got to catch those of you who maybe um, you grew up maybe city style, you know, it's, it's, it's different. 
this, these animals are being cut open, you know, and guts taken care of, blood being dealt with, and, and this animal's being burnt on the altar. So it, it ain't the, the most horrible thing you can imagine because to me it's just a barbecue. <laughs> so they there, they hungry probably. They smelling the, 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 you know, they're hearing the sizzling. It's happening. I mean, there's a barbecue taking place and everything. You know, Jeroboam's doing his thing. The people are like, yeah, we're going to get some food out of this. Let him do what he's doing. And all of a sudden, this man shows up. He's a man of God. Um, and he just cries out against the altar. The, he's, you know, the king tries to arrest him. This happens. And then, just, and, and then the sign is, just as the man of God said, the altar is split and the ashes spill out. You know, and then they see the king has no authority over this man of God. Because he's there to, to, to present God's word to the people. God, they needed to hear it. And so uh, it poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given notice by the word of the Lord. One thing I'll, I'll say too, it keeps saying over and over and over and over by the word of the Lord. One of the reasons why I think sometimes it's hard for us to, to clearly hear the word of the Lord for our life and reading bec can become sometimes mundane is because we have so many distractions in our life. You know, and I think that um, as you learn to remove them when you have your quiet time with the Lord and really have some quiet time with the Lord. What that means is not a five minute devotion as we've become devotional, you know, devotions. And they got pictures of what devotions look like. It's amazing. Every time you see a picture of a devotion online, there's a there's a Bible. Sometimes sometimes it's just a phone or, or an iPad with the scripture on it. And there's always a cup of coffee. Because devotions are cute. <laughs> no, get rid of everything and find a place to just be alone with him and cry out to him. And he's a real God, too. So you, you have to basically be real with him about what you're going through. If you ever read the Psalms, David ain't holding nothing back. David, David talks about everything to the Lord. He, and he says, Lord, break the teeth of my enemy because they want to kill me. You know, oh, Lord, I couldn't sleep last night. My bed was, was like, like, a, like swimming in tears, floating down a river of tears. You know, that's how he's just crying out. He's telling God, this is what I'm going through. I cried all night, Lord, almost drowned in my sweat, in my tears. When are you going to show up for me? It's real conversation he's having. It's real, and he's getting before the Lord. And then the reason I love it is then a few verses later, he's praising him because that's what relationship is like. Now, religious people can't get there. Because religion is fake and it's all about how you look. But relationship is, Lord, I'm mad right now. I'm angry. Don't you see what's going on? Help me. And he's crying out. It's, it's, it's private time with, with the Lord. And don't be disrespectful when you're talking to him, though. No, I'm just a caution. <laughs> but he shows up. All right, verse 6. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, y'all catch this, please. And treat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me. Notice the language. He's humble now. And treat the Lord your God because he ain't the Lord Jeroboam's God. Jeroboam doesn't know him. He's worshiping golden calves. So he's saying, please entreat your God because obviously your God is real. Mine's not. The Lord your God. And he says, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And I'm not sure I'm hearing full repentance here. I just want my hand back, plus I'm embarrassed. So it says, so the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. 
Then the king said to the man of God, he's scared now, so he ain't going to mess with him. So he said, but, but, but here's how Satan operates. You know, so I can't defeat him, so let me, let, me, let me befriend him. Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Now, the man of God, he responds really well here. He's going to make a mistake in a few moments, and we can learn from both. His response is good. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I will not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. And I love that. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. Now, before I reach verse 9, because verse 9 is very key to this whole thing. His first response is good. There's no reason for him to receive any hospitality from King Jeroboam. Jeroboam is not repentive. He's in idolatry. This man has delivered the word that God sent him to deliver. He needs to now leave the place. You know, does that make sense? God sends you, go do what you got to do and get back where you're supposed to be. All right. And he says that in verse nine, look at what he says. For the, so it, so the, so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So what he's already told us is God gave him clear instructions. Go there, cry out to the altar, these words, okay? And then, then don't stay and eat nothing, come back a different way. So what he should have done was exactly that and got his butt back home a different way like the Lord told him because obedience is key. The Bible tells us that obedience, obedience is better than sacrifice. Um, especially when God gives you instructions. And as you, as you spend time with him and you hear from him, it's, it's really important that we obey the instructions that he gives to us. Oftentimes we don't want to do it. But it's, 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 it's important that we do, and we'll see why. If y'all are giving me, yeah, we got some time. Verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. And by the way, as we go through this, it's clear God, God's got prophets all over the place. Isn't that amazing? He's got people. There's an old prophet and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king and their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it and he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he says, I am. There's already a couple of issues happening. Kind of convicting when you begin to think about it. He's sitting under an oak. He needs to be on his journey because God told him to get back. Go one way, come back another way. Sometimes I think about this. Why, why go one way and come back another way? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe God understands that I'm sending you to do something and I got my protection on you, but Satan wants to destroy you because what you just did is interrupted a whole nation worshiping demons because Paul says that those who sacrifice to idols sacrifice to demons. So there's demonic activity going on. The enemy wants to destroy your life because he wants to stop you from doing what I've called you to do. So you need to follow my instructions so that you can stay safe. 
He's sitting on the oak tree taking a break. The other man of God, the prophet, the old prophet, he's excited because a real a prophet showed up and he ain't heard the word of the God in a while probably. <laughs> Because he ain't been probably being diligent. And so he's excited. He wants to go meet the man. So he runs after him. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. Okay, so we already know there's a problem. Was the first man of God instructed not to do that? Right? So this man of God is saying, hey, come eat with me. Okay. Second guy, old prophet, no big deal. He doesn't know the instructions that God gave to the, uh, the prophet that came from Judah. Everybody with me? So he doesn't know that. So he, he's not in his heart trying to tempt him or do anything. So verse 16, and he said, well, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. So he, he says, I can't because God told me not to. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by going the way you came. Okay, done deal then. We know what God says. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. What, it, what, at, what are the things that can cause you to compromise what you already know God told you to do? Think about that in your heart. What, what are the little things that could actually cause you to compromise? Verse 18, he said to him, this is the old prophet. He says to him, well, I too am a prophet, as you are. Yeah, but you won't on assignment. God didn't. God didn't call you to do nothing that day. He says, I'm too, I'm a prophet like you are. And and look at this. And an angel spoke to me. This this dude's name must be Joseph Smith or something. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Now he's lying, which is why God didn't call him to go, because he lived closer to where Jeroboam was sacrificing than this other dude. You know, why God didn't send him? Well, yeah, we see why. Because he'd be lying and he'd be compromising. And spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that you may eat bread and drink water. And of course, he was lying to him. So wait a minute. So if God speaks to you and says, go do A, somebody else shows up and says, ah, God, you know, God spoke to me to come tell you to do B. Uh-oh. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I got to finish A because God usually doesn't do that. Think about it. God usually, when he gives direct instructions, he usually don't change them by somebody that you don't know showing up, you know, and, and then he didn't test the spirit. He didn't test the spirit. All right. So in verse 19, so he went back with him. So he compromised and he ate bread in his house and he drank water. He compromised what God told him to do because this man said that an angel said that he was supposed to, to, to alter the plan of God, which is why you got to be careful when you go come around talking about what God told me. Okay, well, then, 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 then do it and let's see it come to pass. You know, well, maybe it wasn't God, you know, and people changing their story. And I think that what we can begin to learn from this is we want to, We want to be careful to hear the voice of the Lord. For us, the beautiful thing is that he's given us his word. And he he points us to it and he uses it to direct us and he uses it to lead us. And he never contradicts it or or goes against that which he's already said in his word. 
Um, and so I have found that to be the case. And often the Holy Spirit uses the word I've already read that's stored on the inside to lead and guide me in the middle of things that's going on, you know. And this didn't work out for the man. He should have just said, hey, look, man, next time I'm coming through, I'll look you up. But right now, God said, I got to get back. I got to be obedient. I got to finish this assignment that I was put on. Man, that's convicting. So verse 20, it happened. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. Oh, so now he gets a word. <laughs> and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, oh, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back and ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Whoa. So it was, you know, and, and I don't know this. I'll just stick with this with the with the text at this point. Um, but he should feel horrible. But, you know, you can't blame the old prophet. Because the man of God from Judah knew what he was supposed to do. So here's what happens. So after he had eaten bread and after they had drank and saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. So he, he does all of that for him. When he had, was gone, notice a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road. And the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. Now, if you catch this scene, clearly, this was just a God thing. The donkey ain't running from the lion. I don't know if y'all see. This don't make sense for me. <laughs> the, the donkey's not running from the lion. The lion ain't ain't nobody yet. The lion just confirmed the word of God. So, and when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown down in the road. The donkey stood by it, by the corpse. The lion stood by the corpse as well. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. And they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. And then this guy, he makes me mad in the story. But anyway, <laughs> therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown down on the road, and the donkey and the lion still standing by the corpse. Because y'all remember, they ain't driving cars and stuff. So this didn't happen pretty quick. It wasn't like accident happened. He's there in 10 minutes. And it's probably been a couple hours. The lion's still just there. And the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God and laid it on his donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city and mourned to mourn and to bury him. Partially because he felt responsible. He had a part to play in it. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb. And they mourn over him, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, 
then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the sand which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. After this event, after this event, I wonder if this man's disobedience and his fate and his fate gave Jeroboam some kind of justification to go back to his ways. Because sometimes our disobedience can be seen as a reproach at times. Um, and we need to keep our witness. So he did not turn from his evil way, but again, he made priests from every class of people. In other words, anybody want a priest job? Advertisements all over the area for the high places. Whoever wishes, he consecrated him and he became one of the priests. In other words, no qualifications, no character needed. You just want a job. In verse 34, and this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. And so you can, you can read that in 2 Kings and we'll continue with the judgment that's going to come against the house of Jeroboam in chapter 14 next week. A lot of things we learn and see in here. Um, praise God for God's grace in this new covenant. Amen. But one thing that I, I think we have to always remember is even though we're living under a new covenant and things are different as, as how they're being carried out, a good thing is that God is the same and he doesn't change. That's a good thing. We can count on, on the Lord. Amen. Which means that his desire for his people is still the same and that he desires us to, to be obedient. It doesn't mean when you disobey, you're going you're gonna to see a line in the road. Um, but because we are his children, there are disciplines. There are corrections that take place. How many, anybody ever been corrected by the Lord other than me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he's gracious in it. He's merciful in it, but he teaches us. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will, and maybe go back and read it again, but the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to you from, from these things that we see. You know, Paul says in the New Testament that the Old Testament is written as an example to us, that we don't follow the same sins, you know, and that, we, and that, we, and, and that the good examples that we see in, in the text we follow as well. And so as we go through the Old Testament, we know that God is the same. There are things that we're going to learn and that we'll be able to apply in our own lives. And so bow your heads with me now. Father, we thank you to, tonight for allowing us to be here. We thank you for the text that you've given us. And I pray that you would continue to use it to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us through this time that you've called us to occupy until you come. Well, Lord, we love you. I pray that you would go before us for the rest of this week, Lord, in all of the places that you've called us to occupy, uh, in the marketplaces, schools, whatever the case may be. Lord, clear a path for us. Lead us by your spirit. Work in us, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us more and more, I pray, that we would grow more sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, that we would grow in our understanding of your word and that you would be able to use your word to direct us daily. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stay, stand and worship.